0: In today's show, I'm going to be looking at some buy-low trade options for Fantasy Basketball, but also talking about the news about Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast What's my Instagram? It's locked on Fantasy Well, Completely just lost my mind there for a second. All right. So normally, we'd just be doing a full low show, but there is some news that I woke up to, which felt like the NBA just lost their shit overnight. Two players who, um, one of them I've been fairly critical of because of the way he plays, and another one I've been critical of because of the fantasy impact he's had, which is through no fault of his own. Let's start with Detroit and Blake Griffin as they sit Blake Griffin down to try and determine his playing future. I don't know exactly what that means 100%. Yes, they're going to move on from him in some way. But Griffin is owed a shit ton of money. Another $39 million, I believe, for next year. Uh, he's got a $36 million contract this year. That's a lot of money to buy out. And I believe because of all the wheelings and dealings and buyout craziness that Troy Weaver underwent in the offseason, um, they can't actually buy Griffin out. So I, I don't know what this means for Blake Griffin. They can say that they you know, want to trade him and move on, but who is taking that deal on? Who is taking on eighty million dollars almost in salary without receiving a ton of assets back? While a team like the Pistons shouldn't want to give up any assets. Now I know that they were pretty willy nilly in giving up assets to get off Luke Kennard um, and other deals in the offseason, but I really I just don't I don't see I don't see what would happen there. And if that report that I saw is true, that they have no ability to buy him out or to stretch him, uh, or sorry, they can't stretch him um, to buy, if they if they can't stretch him, that means they have to buy him out. That means they're just on the hook for yeah, another $40 million next year with nothing in return for it. That's pretty hard to do. Did they just tell Blake to chill for the next year and a half? I, I honestly don't, it, it just has to be a buyout where Blake says, I, I, cool, I just don't want money. I don't want any money, really, because that's a lot of money to give up. And I know I'm just saying money a lot of times here, but it is. It's an absolute ton to have to give up from Griffin. Um, Look, he was already a clear, droppable player in fantasy. There was no two ways about that, no debate about that. A clear drop, and nothing there changes. But what does change is a player moving into the starting line, which will probably be Sadiq Bey. Big Dek Energy is was somehow amazingly named the Eastern Conference Player of the Week. And I know he played well, but that is an absolute ludicrous decision to um to name him the player of the week. But he did play well. So you're gonna give him that. I think that he is a guy to add in twelve team leagues, but we do have to be careful about overvaluing Big Deke here because his last week, he averaged eighteen points. Like that's great. He shot 71 from the field, which included 70% from three and 75% from two. This dude's shooting 41% from two from the year. Now, he's also shooting 42% from three, which is excellent. But you would have a feeling that that's probably going to come down somewhat as well. He's not a big rebounder or a big steals guy. I think he may have blocked blocked one shot for the entire year. Uh, He has 13 steals through 25 games. So obviously not helping much in those categories. What he does is hit threes. And at the moment he's doing that at a really high level. Good efficiency numbers, um, really strong um shooting percentages and and that's good. That can be useful. But don't get over don't overreact to this little run that Sadiq Bey is putting up where he's shooting seventy percent from three. By all means he is an ad in twelve team leagues. No worries about that. He should be the starter. Yeah, Dwayne Casey can do some dumb shit. We've seen that time and time again from Dwayne, but that doesn't mean that that we don't look at Sadiqa as an option. Now, that means that someone then has to move into Deke's role on the bench. Um, You're going to get Siku Dumbaya. Move into that role, you're going to get I so see. Might get a little bit more out of Josh Jackson, but I'm not sure. He's already playing like 27 to 29 minutes anyway. So him and they—they they were pushing Bay somewhat to the two at times, but that'll just be Jackson and Allington and McKay getting all those minutes, and then Dumbaya comes in and gets the backup three four minutes that uh, the um, Bay was getting prior to that. So realistically, the only move we're looking at here is yeah, adding Sadiq Bay, and then trying to figure that out later. I don't think it impacts Isaiah Stewart. Your fantasy site might list Isaiah Stewart as a power forward center. He is not. He is exclusively a center. I I would hate to see them try and put him and Plumlee together. Um, Maybe they do it for a minute or two, but it's not enough to make us want to go and and think he's going to be a top 120 player or anything like that. If we look at the Cleveland side of things, now they are sitting Andre Drummond to try and work a trade. Now it's, I guess, a little bit easier for Drummond because he has um just 1 year left on his contract but the rumors of him going to Toronto. Yeah, you know, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that that's going to happen because in order to match the salaries they need to give up either Chris Boucher um Aaron, and Aaron Baines and a bunch about five I think to include to include Baines and Boucher and not any of Van Vliet, Lowry, Siakam, Ananobi and Norm Powell. They have to include like five players and yeah, probably some draft picks to get that done. I don't see why they would. You can make the money work by including Norman Powell, but again, I don't see why you would. Um, you wouldn't want to give up assets to get Drummond. And your Powell on his contract is an asset. Boucher, I think, on his contract is an asset. And yeah, I'm not a massive fan of Drummond. Now, I'll say this about Drummond. I think if you went to Toronto... He wouldn't be out there jacking up ridiculous shot after ridiculous shot with a 30-plus percent usage and being as horrendous as he is. Now, he's always going to be bad on defense, a guy that generates steals but is bad on defense. He can pass. He is a good passer. He's got some talent. But part of what my problem with Andre Drummond is, is not that he didn't have talent, is that he used it in possibly the worst way, worst way you could imagine. And that was in large part, I think, due to him, but also to do to do with the situation and the team that he was on. I think if he went to Toronto, that would calm down significantly. That usage would yeah, drop way off the face of the earth. And yeah, the reason that he rested yesterday was because of his attitude and his play, which I think is fantastic from Bickerstaff. He should have said, You are playing like absolute shit, so get that garbage out of here! And that's what they that's what they did. Um So look, it is—and we're going to talk about this in a second—it is a worry that he goes to Toronto in terms of the value of the wiki Chris Boucher, but I'm not convinced that it happens. I think finding that trade is hard. Now, of course, Drummond could be bought out, and that is a possibility. I don't really see the benefit for Cleveland at all. They can just say, well, you know, just don't play rather than you're giving advantages to teams that they might actually be competing with in terms of the play-in game, because they're still in the mix for that play-in game and the Raptors aren't exactly rolling. But I think in the end, they probably do get something done and buy him out. And where he ends up going after that remains to be seen. But I, I do think the Drummond that we see now is not necessarily the Drummond that we see if he goes to a better team, whether that's Brooklyn or Toronto or Boston or someone like that. He won't be that same guy. He won't play 37 minutes a night. He won't have a 35% usage in any of those situations, I don't believe. Now, if we look at the Cavs, of course, Jarrett Allen is the full-time starting center. He's been better than Drummond all season. He should have been the starting center immediately. And finally, the Cavs have realized that. He obviously is a must-roster player who's rostered in only 86% of Yahoo leagues and 90% of ESPN leagues. So if you're in one of those leagues that have got both thumbs firmly up each other's assholes, go and add him. He's a clear add there. What else happens there? Nothing, really. They're still going to welcome back Kevin Love and Larry Nance, and they'll play some minutes at center. And then you have Victorian Prince and Dylan Windler filling in the gaps. JaVale McGee moves in as the backup center. But Nance and Love will play some of those minutes as well. So McGee's not a pickup outside of very, very deep leagues. And I'm talking in 20-team leagues. You're not adding Windler or Prince uh, or CeeDee Osmond, the Discman. Shout out to uh, that guy that suggested that nickname. Um, you're really just looking at Allen consolidating. But the other thing will happen is other players are going to get more rebounds. Sexton's rebound should go up. Nance's rebounds, which dropped significantly this year, they should go up. Prince's rebound should go up. Windler's rebound should go up. Um, Garland's rebounds might go up. Um, and and usage go guy, because Drummond was taking so many shots. So more shots for Sexton, for Garland, for Allen, for Nance, for Okoro. Everybody's going to get more shots, and everybody is going to get more rebounds in Cleveland. And while there's no clear one winner like there is with Bay in Detroit, there'll be incremental increases, I believe, across the board for a whole bunch of players there in Cleveland. So that's that news. Obviously, we'll do more updated stuff when we find out where and if these players are actually moving, but that's my current update with those guys now. So let's talk buy low trades and let's start with the wiki, Chris Boucher. Now, Boucher, he hasn't been particularly bad. 79th ranked player over the last two weeks, 63rd over the last week, right in line with his season averages. But the person who has the wiki might absolutely be panicking that Andre Drummond is coming. And Andre Drummond may come. Giggity. He may not. But the panic associated with it means that you can get Boucher at a slightly cheaper price, I believe, at the moment. Just because people are going to be, oh, no, he's going to play 12 minutes a night while Drummond gets 36 minutes because Drummond's clearly the superior player. Um, And people believe that. I don't, but people believe that. Um, And that makes Boucher, to me, somewhat of a buy low. Now, buy low doesn't mean throw a top 50 guy out there. It means throw a top 100 guy out there. It means throw two of your three worst players out there just to see if that person's panicking. Have a look, see if you can figure out how that person values someone like Andre Drummond and how they react to news like this. But it it is, you're not, don't buy him at value. Don't send a top 70 player for Boucher. Don't send a top 80 player for Boucher. Go low. If it doesn't work, oh well. The person obviously isn't panicking. But if he is panicking, you might be able to get yourself somewhat of a bargain there. John Morant. Morant is 122nd ranked player since he returned. He's 150th over the last two weeks. And the concerns that I had with him at the start of the season are here. He doesn't hit threes. Now, he was a 34% three-point shooter that last year. He's 26th this season. So there is significant room for improvement. But my problem is not the percentage. It's the volume. He attempts three per game. He also doesn't get steals. He's at 0.9 per game. He was at 0.9 per game last year. And then last year, he was the 72nd ranked player. So you tie all that in together with the fact that now, instead of being a 48% shooter, he's shooting 45 and 37% over the last two weeks. And the value tails right off. All of these things are why I said, you know, picking him in the top 25 felt like burning a pick and felt like maybe you were going for absolute ceiling value. That said... That 37% shooting from the field, the 26% shooting from three, the 41% shooting from two, all has room to improve. His assists are great. His usage is fine, although I think it could stand to be a little bit higher. The minutes, they can probably still increase as well, 31 over the last eight games. But there is clear, clear room for improvement, even just if it gets back to last year's numbers, I think is a good buy-low scenario for him. Top 40, forget it. Like, I don't think that's happening without threes, without steals, and with his current efficiency problems. But, you know, a guy that isn't even a top 100 player since returning, we know it's Ja Morant, and he has a lot of hype associated with so pulling off a buy low can be tough to do, but it is something that you should be looking at and, and trying to achieve, I've got got a Cavs player in here, uh, Colin Sexton. We talked about how his struggles have mirrored some of the struggles he's had in previous seasons. 120th ranked player over the last month. Why? Because, you know, no steals, 0.8 steals per game, and no threes. He's taking 3.3 threes per game, which for a guy that is shooting 42% of them, hitting 42% of his threes and shot 38% last year and shot 40% as a a rookie, it's really bad. Um, Now... Is that the Rajon Rondo factor where I only take absolutely the wide openest of threes, therefore my percentage looks good despite me not being a good shooter? There's got to be some of that in there. But he's just not hitting volume of threes, and he's a negative in that category. He gets no steals. He averages literally two and a half rebounds per game. Now, without Drummond, that will come up for sure. He has improved his assist numbers up from three to 4.2 this year. That's an improvement. But again, like Morant, the lack of threes, the lack of steals is having an impact on him. He's been solid from the free throw line, but not as good as past years, where he's at 84%. He's down at just 80 this year. And that's fallen down even more over the last two weeks. But I still have faith that he'll be able to improve his field goal percentage back up. His twos are down to 46% in the last two weeks. And he'll be able to improve the free throws back up. The rebounds, they'll jump up somewhat without Drummond. But the steals... I don't believe in that. The threes, I'm not sure I believe in that, but even that is is somehow even less uh, than what it was the last two years. He's down at, over the last eight games to so 2.9 three-point attempts per game. So there is room for him to improve, but he's not a top 50 player. Um, maybe he's a top 70 player, but with how he's gone over the last month, You'll be able to get him maybe for a top 90, maybe a top 100 player. His points are hyper-valuable, very, very valuable. But just the fact that he's a, just a downgrade in so many areas, that's what drops his overall value. Miles Turner struggles at the moment for Turner, who is the uh, 17th-ranked player this year, but 67th over the last two weeks. Why? Well, he, remember he was averaging four blocks per game? Well, that's down to 3.4 because over the last two weeks, he's at 2.1 per game. He's at 1.7 per game over the last three games. And his minutes have come way down. His block numbers have come way down. His usage has come way down. There's been a lot of things falling off for Turner. It is trending absolutely in the wrong direction for him. Now, I don't think we should look at him as a top 20 player. Like not even close to that because those high blocks were hard to sustain. But I do think that what he's currently doing in terms of minutes, in terms of the fact that for some reason he's shooting 69% from the line Giggity. in his last seven games, so that's going to come up. Um, and he's playing only 27 minutes per night, which I assume is going to come up as well. And the blocks should come from two, and 2.1 blocks to 2.6 blocks doesn't appear to be a huge amount, but it's absolutely massive when accounting for fantasy value. So if he can get that to come back up, like if you just go from 2.1 to 2.7 blocks, you jump probably 20 spots in rankings. And I think that's what we've got to bank on here for miles. I think if you can get him for anything outside of a top 60 player, that would be something to do. But there are concerning signs. The drop in blocks, the drop in uh, free throw percentage, the drop in minutes, and the drop in usage have all uh, led to him being significantly undervalued at the moment. I'll put Jason Tatum on this list because over the last week, he's the 90th ranked player. People burn sometimes... A top eight pick on him in fantasy, which was pretty ridiculous, I thought, at the time. But I still had him as a you know 11 to 15 sort of guy. And he's not that player. 23rd ranked guy this year, 49th over the last two weeks, and 90th over the last week. Why is he so bad at the moment? Well, the shooting numbers are way off. Now, we had some concerns with that, and I thought maybe he'd be able to take his shooting to a new level this year. But he shot in 18-19, 45% from the field. In 1920, he shot 45% from the field. And in 2021, he's shooting 45% from the field. So maybe, maybe he's just a 45% from the field shooter. In saying that, the last two weeks, he's shooting 39% and 35% over the last four games. His steal numbers and block numbers, which were high to begin the year, and they were pretty good last year, They're, they've disappeared. He hasn't blocked a single shot in the last eight games. In fact, I believe he's blocked one shot in the last 11 games. Now, he had eight blocks in his first 10 games, so it is a real uh, drought here, but that should start to come back. Pair that with an increase in efficiency. The blocks coming back. His assists are great. The rebounds are solid. He's not shooting a huge volume of threes, unfortunately, for a guy that's a 41% shooter. I'd like him to shoot more than the four a game he's hit shooting over the last four games. That's just not enough. But there's clear room for him to get back inside the top 20 if the blocks improve, if we get the three-point shooting back, and we get that two-point shooting back to a strong level where it's been absolutely shithouse the last two weeks. Now, Tatum's name value is really high. So you're not going to get him for a guy because he's 90th the last week. That's not realistic. You're not going to get him for a 49th ranked player. That's not realistic, but that's where he is. But he's 23rd this year. It's trending downwards. He's getting worse as the season goes on. I think he can still be a top 20 player, and I would consider that something that I would try and get him for, like a top 25 guy, a top 30 guy, I would consider that with uh, Jason Tatum. This show is much longer than these shows normally go because we we did talk Drummond and uh, Griffin at the start. Let's look at some buy lows in points leagues. Rishawn Holmesy Holmes. Over the last week, Holmes is the 161st ranked player. He's averaging 21 fantasy points. He's averaging 30 this season. Why? Well, the minutes are way down. 23 minutes a night, he's playing only. Now, the minutes have started to trend down from home, for homes in general. It's so they can give Whiteside more minutes? I don't really know. Uh, 28 minutes a night over the last seven games, he's not ideal. His block numbers have also just completely gone. He's had just two blocks in the last three games. And this is a dude who gets 1.6 per game up to two per game. So there's significant room for that to improve, for the minutes to improve, and obviously his overall fantasy scoring to improve. He could be easily an extra 10 points per game player. Um, Don't view him as a top 50 points league guy. I'd probably be looking at if I could get him for a top 100 sort of player. That's probably realistic considering where he's been over the last month, 89th ranked player. So sort of in that area, in that a guy averaging 26 to 29 fantasy points, maybe that's what you do. Um but if you can get lower, you go lower. Gordon Haywood, 115th ranked player in the last week, 26 fantasy points per game. He's not going to be treated that way. His field goal percentage is way, way down, but you tie, you tie that in with low shooting as well as the fact that he's injured at the moment, and maybe you can acquire him on the cheap. He's averaging 37 fantasy points this year, I think, yeah, he's probably a 36-point guy as we move forward. But if you can get him for a 32-point player, with tied in with the recent form, tied in with the play of Miles Bridges, and tied in with the back injury, plus the history of Gordon Hayward as an injury-prone player that you can play up on, you might be able to get him for a 31, a 32-point player, which I think would be good value in a trade. Now, I said the other day that I'm not sure that DeAndre Ayton is necessarily a buy-low player, but in a points league, I believe he is. In a category league, I think he's sort of doing what he does. But in a points league, he's averaging just 28 points over the last two weeks. He's a 33 fantasy point per game player this season. I don't think the usage is getting high. I don't think that he's just going to become all of a sudden super aggressive and block a shit ton of shots and get to the line a whole amount. I don't think that happens but he can be a 34 to 35 point fantasy player and he's averaging just 29 over the last two weeks. So, you know, the frustration with Aiden is huge. The amount of people that come into the comments and my tweets are like, oh, this guy's such a pussy, which, you know, I obviously really you know, hate that sort of your know, talk and language. Uh, and not not language. I I'll hap- I happily swear. You're all well aware of that, but you know, uh, your know, sexist type comments and you're questioning someone's heart and effort is not ideal. And by not ideal, I mean it sucks and you shouldn't do it. But Ayton is passive, and that's just who he is as a player and how he's used uh, in Phoenix. And we have to accept that that's the reality. But we also have to accept that him averaging 12 points and 28 fantasy points is well under exception or yeah, expectations of, uh, of where he's going to be as we move forward. Jeremy Grant. <clears throat> now, this is a tougher one to pull off, but I do want to mention this because he had been trending down. Don't, no doubt. 48th ranked player over the last two weeks, 66th over the last week, averaging 31 points per game. The scoring is down. And yeah, I constantly would bring it up. How is Jeremy Grant able to increase his usage this much while also somehow being able to increase his true shooting the amount that he has? That defied belief. And it continued to defy belief. But we're at a spot now where maybe that belief that was continued to be defied um, should be believed. And I know that's a confusing mixed metaphor, but maybe he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it long-term. Now, the absence of Blake Griffin, that might be presumed to help Jeremy. I'm not actually sure it does because Griffin was not a player who was taking shots away from Jeremy Grant. I don't think there has that much of an impact on him, to be honest. But there is... Um, yeah, that's what makes it maybe a bit hard to pull off for a buy low just because of the, you know, the presumed, well, Griffin's now out of there, so we can maybe see more from Grant, which I'm not certain is the case. I think the more we get from Grant comes from, um, comes from him just shooting better than he's currently been shooting, but we've seen that field goal percentage drop down. He was 50% earlier this year. He is down to 46% and, and from two and 44% from two over the last... Um, over the last 10 games. And maybe that huge load. Giggy, He's just catching up with him. I think that's a real possibility. The last guy, the Kerner. Clint Capella. Minutes way down. Over the last two weeks, 27 minutes a game. 37 fantasy points. The last three games, 23 minutes per game. Including 21 and 22 in two back-to-back games. Now, one of those was a, ga- a foul trouble game. One of those was a blowout game against the uh, Spurs. But people won't necessarily dig into those details. They might look at that and go, "Wow, what's going on?" They're just prioritising John Collins. They are showcasing John Collins for a trade. People will believe that. But yeah, you know, the two 21-minute nights that Capella had were a game where he had 5,000 in 21 minutes, and the other one where they were down by 40 at half time against the Spurs. Now his numbers haven't been fantastic. He hasn't hit 30 minutes since the 1st of February, which is not a, not a great not a great stat. But we look at Capella, who's averaged 40 fantasy points per game this year, and I think we probably can go with him as as a guy that can be better than that. That can be well enough sorry, better than the current production. So look at him as maybe a 38 fantasy point per guy uh, player moving forward and you look to trade him with a 35 or a 36-point guy, I think can give you um, some level of value with Clint Capella. But the the downturn in his minutes is absolutely something that uh, should have us a little bit worried, but I still think there's some value we can extract. All right, that was a long one, giggity. And now it's time for me to go. So subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.